Hello and a warm collisions YYC snow day welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Andrew Brown. How are you doing, Andrew? Doing great, Tyler. How about yourself? I am fantastic. And as you already pointed out off air, I do like to talk about the weather. And this will be aired a couple of weeks from now, but this is the morning of that, the after the long weekend of the massive snowstorm. And I'm uh, just looking out my window, really appreciating my work from home reality right, right, right at the moment. How are things in your world? <laughs> uh, doing doing really well. I think even in a couple of weeks, uh, well, I don't know, we're no- notorious in Calgary for uh, for a short-term memory on, on the weather, right? So <laughs> yes. uh, we'll probably remember it, but it'll be like this this long lost memory that, uh, that we'll have to think back on. But, and it'll uh, probably be doing, plus 10 and sunny that day because that's uh, what Calgary I, does. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, in March. Uh, well, we could even even get up to, to the mid-20s if we're lucky. So uh, fingers crossed for that. But yeah, I'm doing really well, Tyler. I really appreciate it and, and really excited to, to be joining you this morning. No, I appreciate it. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's jump in the old um, Collisions YYC pitch elevator. Um, you're a partner at Thin Air Labs. So let's be blunt. What is a Thin Air Labs? Let's start there and let's back into it from that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Thin Air is a venture capital and services firm based here in Calgary. So we're one part uh, VC. Uh, we're actively raising and, and deploying capital through uh, Thin Air Labs Fund 1. Uh, we invest in seed stage companies uh, sometimes a little bit earlier and, and we'll follow on all the way through to Series A. And a big part of, uh, of our investment thesis in, in terms of when and, and who and, and how we invest is focused on helping founders de-risk their, their venture ideas and, and accelerate through to, to that next round of, of growth and, and scale. So uh, part of the way that we do that is through our, our uh, venture services arm. Uh, which includes two uh, uh, two key focus areas. Our product traction team is in the business of helping companies with their product strategy, everything from customer discovery, uh, validation, design, engineering, and growth strategy, uh, mostly related to digital products uh, uh, like software. And then our funding catalyst team, this is where I spend most of my time, is in the business of helping companies find and secure different forms of capital to help them grow. Uh, so a big part of that is is understanding the uh, the non dilutive landscape. So things like grants and vouchers and tax credits and you know every, everything that we can find for companies to help them go further with less. Um, but that obviously uh, pairs into um, and uh, uh, kind of goes hand in hand with raising uh, equity capital. Um, so early stage companies here can come to us and, and we'll help them uh, understand the landscape, build out a strategy around how to secure uh, different forms of capital, and then ultimately help them execute against that and, and submit winning applications. So I like to say we, we're in the business there of helping uh, helping founders win um, by securing the capital they need and, and helping them grow and scale um, as, as fast as they can. Andrew, I feel you've been in this elevator before, perhaps maybe once or twice. <laughs> that, was, that was well laid out. I'm like, well, okay, I got a million questions, but also we could just stop there and everybody and, and everybody heard the, the spiel. I'm really curious, for starters, the venture capital side of Fund One versus the services side, was that always part of the model? Was that something that evolved as you moved forward and said, wow, we which services do we need to bring to the table? These are the two that are going to be the most impactful. Like, Just give me a little bit of the history, how those two navigated, because sometimes they can be church and state. Clearly, you guys have bolted them together, which for me, at face value, makes a lot of sense. But just curious how you got there or if that was always part of the thesis. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think... Um... From my perspective, uh, from a high level, it was it was very much adopted by based on the needs of the ecosystem at the time, and and will continue to evolve, adapt and evolve based on what we're hearing from the ecosystem and the founders that we're working with. Um, when I uh, so a little bit about about myself, I've been a founder a couple times over of, of previous ventures. My last one went through the Creative Destruction Lab a program here in Calgary, so got some good exposure into um, really how to you know the serious versus the curious in terms of uh, taking a company to that next level and really trying to trying to grow and scale that that company. And that's where I actually uh, connected with our our founding capital partner James Lockery. 
Um, and so that, that was about three years ago now. We sat down and, and we kind of looked at the opportunity in, in front of us in, in Alberta with Venture um, and, uh, and then kind of asked ourselves some questions. Like what are, what's required here to really accelerate the development of the ecosystem to help support global scale companies here? And of course, one part of that is always capital. And this is what you'll hear a lot from, uh, from founders, um, from investors that are unsure how to invest in this asset class, even from investors outside of the province who are looking, uh, looking in and, and wanting to get involved. You know, um, is there the right kind of capital uh, allocation available for early stage ventures all the way through to growth and scale? So that was one part of it. And, and, uh, and that's really what the fund represents is, is um, access for, uh, uh, for companies to early stage capital um, that, can, that also comes with some value add in terms of uh, supporting founders in, in the next stages of their development. The services side were, were really, like I said, in response to what we were hearing from, from founders, some of the um, experience that was lacking in the ecosystem at the time. Um, and, uh, and then kind of has adapted to the, the changing needs of, of uh, based on market condition and, and the types of companies that are forming here. Um, but for example, product traction was really born out of uh, the need of, of one of our earlier portfolio companies who was looking for support with kind of this growth challenge that they were facing on the product side. We, we had something good. We think we have product market fit here, but we're, we're not uh, executing on our, on our um, growth strategy as, as we think we should. Um, and so we just started putting some people in place around that team and, and really right. helping them kind of understand uh, how to take their, their company uh, through product to the next level. And the same was true for the Funding Catalyst team. Um, uh, as a previous founder, I've been through the, the ropes of, of trying to secure different forms of grants and, and was successful in doing that for my last company. Uh, one of our earlier portfolio companies came to us and, and asked for support with, uh, with really understanding how to approach this, building a strategy around it, and then ultimately uh, submitting applications for, for different forms of, of grant funding um, and government-supported uh, subsidies. And so those, those two were really in response to what, what we were hearing from the mm-hmm. ecosystem. And of course, we, we tried it once, we did some experimentation, and then we opened it up to uh, lots of other, other types of companies that, uh, that we had a, a thesis that could use similar support. And, and sure enough, uh, that, that ended up being true. Um, and obviously, like, a, like good entrepreneurs, we kind of tested and validated and iterated on our model and, and how this needs to work and fit together um, and understanding um, kind of the mechanics behind uh, someone coming to us for uh, support or help on the services side versus someone coming to us to pitch for investment and, and how to manage the relationship that exists across uh, across both of those uh, those sides of the business. Um, but yeah, to answer your question directly, it was really in response to uh, some of the unique needs that uh, that we saw in, in the Alberta ecosystem specifically. It's not like um, uh, Toronto or, or San Francisco or New York where you can kind of walk down the street and bump into someone that can help you with a very specific challenge related mm-hmm. to, your, to your venture or startup. And a big part of what we were trying to do here is, is really create a density of this type of experience um, that founders could access when they needed kind of on demand and, uh, um, and could do that uh, without any obligation to, uh, uh, you know, for, for the fund to invest or if the fund was invested without any obligation for them to use that service. It's just available for them and, and, uh, um, okay. and they could access it when they need to. How many, how many, com- how many portfolio companies do you guys have right now? believe we're we have about 23 or 24 portfolio companies we'll continue to invest over over the next couple of years 
And I think on the services side, we're at about 130 different companies that we've we've helped or. Uh, yeah, you're at, you're you're you you headed off my question of what's the balance between those two, and we will circle back to the needs in, in our ecosystem and how that's evolved. So that twenty that 23 to 24, and and I don't know if you want to answer this or can get into it. What percentage of Fund One have you guys actually have deployed at this point? And if that's proprietary, you don't want to say it. That's cool too. Yeah, I mean it's it's in motion, so I just don't want to give any any false information there. I think um, out of the money that's raised, we've deployed. Uh, uh, about a third or, or half, and and some of that is is uh, we're continuing to hold on to for for additional follow on rounds to the to the to that, that exi- to that yeah. existing base. Yeah. To, to how many how many when when the when the fund is fully um, fully engaged? How many companies do you think you're going to have? Like, is it ballpark forecasting? Um, we're getting to crystal ball stuff here. I appreciate that. <laughs> Probably about uh, thirty five to forty. The you nice. know funds, and this is one of the learnings of of coming in from a, a founder seed into kind of. Uh, uh, the other side of, uh, of the table, so to speak. Uh, the me- mechanics of a fund like ours and, and what we're trying to accomplish uh, really depend on, um, uh, first of all, high, gr- high growth like global scale companies, right? Really companies and opportunities that can, can, uh, can achieve that next stage of growth and scale and serve customers all over the world. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's, that creates a bit of scarcity. There's limited companies that have the ability to do that. And, uh, and we're looking for the ones that, that can, uh, from a market opportunity perspective, but also from a, a founder ambition perspective, they want to build this type of company. Um, and so when you kind of factor some of those things in the returns that we're looking for on, on the fund itself, um, the, uh, the number of companies that we can support through this, this model, uh, we're looking to deploy, uh, money into about 35 or 40 different companies over, over the life of the fund. Nice. The 23, 24, do you have, how many of them are based here in Western Canada? I think, uh, about 95% of them are actually based in Alberta. Oh, um, ama- oh I was, I, did, I thought that I didn't think that stat would be that high when I asked that question. It's, it's quite high. We, we think, uh, fundamentally mm-hmm. that Alberta is That's one of awesome. the best places to invest in, in North America or if not the world right now, uh, for a couple different reasons. I think there's uh, really strong entrepreneurs, just this entrepreneurial spirit that if you've been in Calgary or, or Alberta long enough, you've, you've definitely felt and experienced this can do attitude of mm. we're going to figure this out. And even if it takes, I think it's get her done. I learned that when I moved here a bunch of years yeah. back, I'm like, I yeah. like that. I can get behind that, <laughs> but you know, put your boots on and, and get her done kind of thing. And, and there's, <laughs> there's definitely this, this attitude, whether, and you know, we're talking about people solving some of the biggest challenges in society today, uh, not just in energy, but in agriculture and, and life sciences and and uh, and everything in between and so um you know i think that that's one of the biggest reasons we're so excited and bullish about the opportunity that we see here, here in alberta um and then combine that with you know what i usually describe as a lot of the ingredients that are required for uh for rapid growth of an innovation ecosystem um, but need in some cases a little bit of coordination and and uh, different uh, uh, roles in the ecosystem to come together and and make investments strategic investments into programming and infrastructure um, and in some cases that's just ways to bring people together so that we're all talking and communicating and mm-hmm. connections can be made quickly um, and the understanding of what's needed in the market can be adapted to quickly um, and I think we're seeing that especially over the last two or three years you've seen the launch of platform Calgary a space for people to come together and things and- that were ideas not that long ago yeah, <laughs> which I love it, I love you know I think <laughs> Especially with this ecosystem, it's a game of momentum, and I think we're certainly uh, feeling and experiencing that that wave of activity, um, and we're starting to see results on the other side of, uh, of some of those stories um, in you know large uh, venture capital rounds coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll start to see some additional exits beyond what we've seen uh, previously from Benevity and Shareworks and, and some others. Um, and so I think that you know a big part of our thesis and what what 
we uh, we believe is going to generate the best returns for our, our LPs and our shareholders and and ultimately, um, you know, is, is close to home in terms of uh, the region and jurisdiction that we're looking to to really support. It's our backyard. Uh, yeah, we think that it. there's uh, more than enough opportunity here in Alberta, but uh, but we will look at deals um, kind of across the prairie provinces and and we'll look at uh, some strategic investments there in terms of how it can support and, uh, and and continue to enhance the development of the ecosystem here. Okay, I appreciate it. I love. That. I, I wasn't expecting you to say ninety five percent. That that yeah, yeah. I got a little. To, I, yeah, I got a little Alberta pride going. That. We can fact well, check 90, that. 91, 88, It's fine. We're still we're yeah. on the high side of of, yeah. of that of that answer. <laughs> we're we're definitely Alberta first, and and I love uh, it. And then we'll kind of look a little bit outside of that uh, across Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, because it, you know when we're talking about competing with some of the hubs, or, um, you know, of more course. established ecosystems, we're, we're uh, you know relatively small population, and we're we're not very dense, right? We're we're kind of spread out, and so you know I think what we're trying to do is is really create a, a honeywell of uh, of um, uh, activity that draws the right people in and, and the right type of uh, uh, experience into the the province to support the companies that are here, but also to found new companies and in, in that's the next generation of, of the development of the, the community. I do appreciate when you think it competitively, we, we are competing against a lot of markets that have longer track records, more density, more companies, more people, more volume. So, you know, you can't just be, we're not on an island. <laughs> you know, even when I started this, Collisions YYC qu- quickly became Alberta, quickly became Western Can- you know, Canada for who I, t- who I talk to because, you know, nobody lives in a, in a, in a dome or in a bubble. Uh, curious, stack ranking opportunities versus challenges, finding companies to invest in versus finding funds, uh, you know, access to capital, or even maybe, maybe the third pillar I would pick is people, because obviously that's one of the biggest limiting factors, and even what mm-hmm. we're just talking about. In terms of your journey over the last couple of years, have has the ranking of those like ah, you know, it was really hard to find funding. We've got that figured out now. Now we've got now we're really looking for deals and really looking for those high potential yield global impact companies, and then the people who want to then be involved in them. How would you rank those? And is is it been shifting? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely fluid, right? Like, I don't think it's it's static uh, by any means. It's dynamic and and it it uh, um, adjusts as the ecosystem grows and evolves, and and the needs of entrepreneurs here and, and investors here change. Um, I think if I were to take a step back and and think about it from a higher level perspective, I think at first when you're trying to get you know fund one off the ground, our, our first fund, and we we have track record uh, or a track record uh, with key people in our organization as as operators, as founders of, of you know these types of companies, um, and have a lot of experience kind of in the trenches and in the weeds with uh, with founders doing this type of work. Um, but it was the first fund that that we've put together, and and you know we knew that we had a unique approach to to how we found founders to work with, and how we supported them, and and how we de-risk and increase increase the odds of of companies that we were to to invest in. Um, but that was a, a bit of a unique model, right? So pitching it in some cases was like, well, you know, why don't why don't you stick to kind of the standard roadmap here? Um, and we were you're kind of presenting <laughs> something different. And so I think that at first, you know, building momentum around that uh, was challenging. But as that started to come together. Um, you know, I don't think deal flow or, or the opportunity to invest in amazing founders was was ever a, a challenge. We, okay. we um, when we brought on our our latest uh, general partner uh, Ragu uh, Barrett, who came came to us from Montreal. Um, I remember he spent about a month in Calgary, and, and we just put him in front of as many founders as we could. And he said, "We need to raise more money. There's just so much good quality." Uh, a sense uh, of abundance here. around opportunity is a nice thing to feel, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that there is, you know, really smart people trying to build these types of companies, and, and they kind of have the fundamentals built out. Like, you know, I think when you look at the landscape, you'll see companies that are a little bit more mature um, by the time they reach kind of a seed round. Um, mm-hmm. They have revenue, they have customers, they, they've kind of validated some, some basics of their business model. 
Um, whereas when there's a huge abundance of capital available, anyone could just go out and raise a million bucks for kind of a, a kind of like a good, and, a good 10 slide deck gets you a million bucks. Kind of that, that exactly. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So, so I think yeah. a little bit more competition, uh, uh, earlier scarcity of, of capital early is, is a good thing to, to kind of kickstart the, the growth of the ecosystem. So I think that's one thing. And, and I think that there's an abundance of that type of, uh, mentality here, people that want to build companies and, and want to build global scale companies at that and solve really hard challenges. And so I don't, I think that that, that's always been there. The the people and the talent uh, challenge is a global one as well. You're, we're competing yeah. with with hubs all over the world. I think uh, the pandemic has has changed the way people think about that. Remote work and hybrid work is is uh, is more prevalent and and is something that you can take advantage of. So it's easier to access people and and to convince people to to uh, you know spend time with a company or an organization somewhere else. Um, so I think that, that there's advantages to what's happened over the last couple of years, but that'll always be a challenge. The way that I think about it is is funding and capital and also people and, and talent will find opportunity, right? And so if you create opportunity and you create the uh, the types of companies that people want to invest in, that people want to work for and work with, um, then it'll you know balance the the equation um, as that as that matures. The hard part is always like building that that momentum and, and getting to that critical mass of activity that that allows people to make a move and, and come to Alberta to, to work for a company and also have um, you know, other opportunity if that doesn't work out. And this is the Honeywell that I'm talking the about. The ability right? to go to go somewhere next. I heard that earlier on in my conversations like, yeah, great. I moved here for this one opportunity, but I look 18 months out, 12 months out of at where I'm going to go next. Not as cl- not as clear cut as you as you all find in more of a mature market. But I feel that is changing a little bit. But you're right. It, we're on we're on the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I'm 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 biased. I've been in, in Alberta for for much of my life, and and but I've also seen a lot of people come to the province, and sometimes like, oh, I'm going to come here for a year, and I'm going to see how it is, and and then they fall in love with it, and they want to stay, right? And I think that that's some people a, come for a visit, and that's the catalyst that gets them to find it and look for a job. I've had a yeah, few people like, they came here for not. a weekend, didn't have any idea. <laughs> left, went home, then figured out how I could move back. <laughs> I have heard that story more than once. That's, I am also exactly overtly positive leaning in that direction as, as someone who moved here in 2000 very quickly, not even had ever been here and very quickly went, Whoa, there's something, there's something going on here. And yeah. And I, yeah, I, I bought in, I drank the Kool-Aid. There's, <laughs> there's some, there's some kind of energy that, that you kind of experience as you start to get integrated, especially with the business culture here. And, and I think that that's an advantage for us. I think that we can uh, not only kind of create the types of opportunities that people want to, to come and work with and, and for, but but once they're here, um, kind of show them everything else that the city is, has to offer and and the kind of direction it's going and the, and the momentum that that uh, we've seen uh, really build up over the last uh, four or five years. And then they're like, yeah, you know what? I th- you know, not to mention it's it's more affordable than other hubs. There's other there's the mountains. <laughs> there's right there. almost the low hanging fruit, things. and there's also lots of you know. If you start with the opportunity that's here, and then eventually you're going to get to oh, by the way, we live an hour from the mountains. Which sometimes you lead with that, but I think in this conversation, there's some real legit opportunity business wise. Yeah. And oh, by the way, all these other boxes that are way more challenging in other cities are actually easier here. Getting around, cost of living, like it's it's a real value prop. On top of the fact that we do have this ecosystem that over the last five years, I feel has really got its legs under it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, and I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different roles uh, required to kind of support 
different aspects of the the innovation ecosystem, the entrepreneurs, the talent, uh, matchmaking them to different opportunities, um, obviously capital, um, storytelling on a local level, but also on a national and a global level. Like all of these things are the, these things are important, as well as support from from different levels of government, right? And I think what we've seen over the last couple of years here in uh, in Alberta specifically is this kind of dedication to really doubling down on what's been working uh, well in in the tech ecosystem for the last couple of years, even with kind of you know maybe limited understanding of, of how to really make it work, but but listening closely to to our peers in other other places that that have. Uh, I've seen kind of the, a similar shift and, and a similar buildup of, of momentum in other places. Um, and, and then investing strategically in, in the right initiatives to, to really uh, accelerate the development of the ecosystem. So we've seen uh, global scale uh, accelerator programs come to the province and, and been here for, you know, about a year and saying, you know, we think that we can create a hub here and we think that we can, we can yeah, make pl- this one plug and play comes to mind for me right away as you're, as you're talking, I'm like, who's yeah. the first one I think of that would be one. <laughs> yeah. Plug and play. And there's 500 yeah. and there's the, the yeah. catalyzer program, which is kind of a pre-accelerator and early, early stage more entrepreneurial uh, kind of education and development back of the, na- back of the napkin phase. <laughs> yeah. Like how do you, you know, what are the terms that you need to understand to, to be able to, to execute here? Um, you know, how do you, what, what's a unanimous shareholder agreement? Like how do you put together kind of the, the fundamentals and foundational pieces of, of a business like this? Um, and those are really, really important to create the, the volume of activity that you need kind of um, at the, the top of the funnel um, and of course, you know, then there's a, a series of iterations that go on in these companies and some of them make it to the other side and some of them get to the point where they're like, you know, we tried all these different things and we just don't think the opportunity is, is what we expected it to be. Um, they go back and try again or they jump in or merge with other companies. But that group and, of individuals has now skilled up right along yeah. the journey to your point yeah. of like, I didn't even know these terms. Now I've been through it. And there's another company that maybe is at that exact phase. Like I do believe, I love that. And I think, yeah, I think you kind of hinted at it. That is one of our superpowers here, that ability to connect. And I know I Every city has it, people tell me, but uh, there's something about Alberta. I think we've got it a little bit better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny. It, you know, it's a unique business culture in, in a few different ways, but I think that that is, is one of them. And I think when you look back on, on kind of traditional uh, sectors that have been here for a long time and are well-established, it's been kind of a community mentality. And it's been a little bit of like, you know, we're, we're competing with, with people all over the world. And, and in order to do that really well as kind of a maybe a lower population, less the uh, uh, dense um, uh, uh, space for activity, um, it, it, it serves us well to work together on these things. And I think that that type of business mentality uh, holds true for this ecosystem. And, and I think that in other cases, it can kind of, uh, you know, there's a sense of pride in we're going to figure this out. We don't need outside help in, in some areas. And I think that that can be challenging at times. But I think that what I've seen over the last couple of years... Pride and ego tend to hang out at the same bar. <laughs> yeah, and I think, but, but I think that um, we've, seen, we've seen enough... Um, kind of really strong outcomes come out the other side that that we realize that you need to be you need to attract and tap into all of these other um, ecosystems around the world and, and really create this kind of global network where an entrepreneur here doesn't necessarily have to raise their entire seed round here or, or their pre-seed or angel round sometimes they can raise capital from other places if you make that really easy and they love being here and they want to build their company here they can raise somewhere else and come back and continue to build here yeah, don't, don't don't force their hand and i've talked to a few companies one i've had james on james told that story about having to kind of leave calgary because you know what he wanted to build they said you know well you're not going to you're not going to do that here and then you know kind of his his spite or his you know, to come back and go, well, yeah, I think we can actually make it so people can build that here. If I, I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase, but we had, uh, when we did our podcast episode, he was very clear on the fact that he wanted to change that paradigm or he believed that it was uh, to be changed. <laughs> I, and, and I think that that was really what attracted, 
me to James, James, when he was kind of just, just starting to talk about this vision mm -hmm. of what he, what he was trying to build with thin air, um, was kind of a similar sentiment. Like I had built a company here previously, but I, I didn't, I wasn't surrounded with the types of people and the types of experience um, that would really help me be successful, right? And so I was trying to figure all this out myself. You know, I think back on on some of the mistakes that we made there, and I think fundamentally one of the biggest ones was just not understanding how to ask for the type of help that I needed. And it wasn't yeah, because I wasn't trying insight. to be successful. It was like I just didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I was like, you know, I think I'm doing this right, but I'm not sure, and I don't really have someone I can just like quickly call up or bump into in a in a in a tech space or or kind of a co working space that that can answer that question for me and i think that that's a big part of what we're what we're trying to do and and we're trying to work with community partners to do as well is create this kind of density of of this type of experience and we and we see snippets of it but i think the best is yet to come in terms of uh, uh of really where where we go next from here and uh, we have the right foundation and the right ingredients kind of here and 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 also we're starting to coordinate it into a kind of a, a delicious recipe so to speak that uh, <laughs> that we can all we can all sink our teeth into but uh, sorry, I just had to keep that that pun going, but but a good one is a good metaphor. Plan analogy is one you can carry for a little bit longer than the first joke. <laughs> yeah, you just keep throwing some more more in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we sink our teeth into this, um, I do really appreciate your perspective. Just the paradigm of not even knowing what you don't know. You know, not going, hey, is there a landmine over there? I didn't even know I was in a minefield. <laughs> like, yeah. and there's so much to that about that exposure that I think could be also really challenging. Let's be honest, when you're in any type of a startup or growth company. You're head down, ass up a lot of the time. To quote another thing I've heard prevalently said in Alberta, you know, what's the strategy here? Well, head down, ass up, and we'll get through it. Um, but there's a reality of, you know, from founders, and time is always a commodity, even talking about some of the skills that you guys have brought forward, you know, as someone who's worked in business for years, I'm notoriously bad at finding non like funding and funding grants. I just want to take the time. And so many of those things of not being even aware of what's out there. And I know we had to spend a little bit of time talking about funding catalysts or Leah is going to give me a hard time because that was one <laughs> of the impetus of why she introduced me to you. But it, thinking about that, you know, advice for founder, because you were a founder, you've lived it, you've done it, you probably, you're probably not that even far removed from it. What are some of those things that you see? Or what are some of those kind of top landmines that, you know, you guys as this partner now are trying to help? And, you know, my buddy always said, you know, you join an executive group so you can find out where the landmines are that everyone else in the room has already stepped on. Mm -hmm. A lot about mm -hmm. the support you guys give, I'm assuming kind of would ladder back to a, a landmine analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, you know, I might take a kind of a high level view first and then we can kind of get into some of the weeds but i think for for funding catalysts like canadian ventures have such a kind of secret weapon or, or competitive advantage when it comes to support for innovation from different government bodies and this is federal provincial municipal um through all sorts of different organizations the challenge for a founder is they're try they're just trying to operate their business they're just trying to get the lights on they're, they're trying just, to, hire, they're trying to they're survive to, often yeah, every day. Get their yeah, next yeah. customer right and then there's an opportunity cost to um kind of putting together a successful application um of course there's a writing component to it but also there's like a, a pitch component and a relationship building component with these funding bodies the same way that there is when you're trying to raise uh, equity investment um so i think when when i uh, first started thinking about what you know funding catalyst could be it really just started with a, a company that was asking for support on on that side of things and i said oh, I, th I think i can help you out with that i foolishly put up my hand and then you know six <laughs> months later we were ultimately successful in that is that is exactly how it happens isn't it Andrew? you put up you put up your hand that one time you, two you years just gotta later. start you just gotta start and <laughs> and kind of figure it out as you go but what what i realized uh, uh through that kind of first engagement was um 
this could be really, really impactful if you could do this efficiently. And if you could, if you could help founders stay focused on building their company, well, you could, you could kind of go out and source and prioritize and, and help them put together the, the type of material that's required to, to be successful in securing this type of funding. Um, and if you could do that without having, you know, the, the amount of time and, and effort and kind of headspace, I think it's a lot of, of a headspace thing with founders of just being able to pull yourself out of the weeds of, of operations and then like finding 30 to 40 hours to actually write a, uh, a compelling uh, pitch or, or application, um, which founders just don't have time for. And, and quite frankly, there's just there's better use of their time on things that only they can do, right? And so there's a couple analogies here. Um, you know, I think about it like, well, yeah, you could probably figure out how to do your your business taxes or you know some of these administrative tax things yourself. Uh, but it's going to take you twice as long, and you're probably going to make some mistakes along the way. Uh, whereas if we could build a team, which which I think that we've uh, we've done over the last 18 months, that are experts in this area, that wake up every day and think about how can we how can we help the founders that we're working with win at this? How can we help them uh, navigate the different landmines that might exist? Like you know, going after this this uh, funding program when we know that you know they're at the tail end of their funding cycle and it's really competitive versus you know and they're just not um in, a, in the right position to to be successful there versus going after this one which might be a smaller dollar amount uh, but the right fit for what you're trying to do at this time right and right. and overlaying all of these different opportunities against their their roadmap that's really what we do the writing part of it is is kind of the the cherry on top but but really when we're in the in the weeds with these founders we're trying to help them understand what's available for them and how they can leverage uh their, their traction, their growth, um, private equity, or, or sorry, uh, equity capital that they've raised mm-hmm. to access this capital in a way that really supports and accelerates their next stage of growth. Um, because there's so much out there and the landscape is so broad, it's really challenging to do that um, by yourself or even with like one individual that, that you've hired into the team that's kind of accountable to that. Uh, you just don't see the same results. So um, you know, the, the, on the funding side, that's that's one thing we see a lot of, uh, there's a, kind of a, I wouldn't say an abundance, but a lot of great uh, funding opportunities available for founders. But as a result, there's kind of like this, am I missing out on something? Should I always be thinking about this? And then switching back to like, no, I just got to... FOMO is also a real disease. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then, and then on the product side, it's, it's really, again, not knowing what you don't know. Like, um, do I need another engineer in this scenario or do I need a product manager that can help these engineers work together? Um, some of these challenges are 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 just experience based. Like I, you know, if you've been through that that motion before, then you can kind of quickly point it out and say, you know, I I think I can help you solve this problem. But if you've never been there before, you can spin tires for a long time, and ultimately, uh, uh, you know, decrease your chances of creating a, sex, a successful outcome. And so, um, a big part of what we're trying to do is not you know, point out the answers in the back of the book for these founders, but help them learn, help them build capacity to take that next next step of growth and then help them access the resources that they need to to do that. Um, so for Funding Catalyst, it was kind of a natural fit. I, I struggled a lot as a founder to try to like navigate this. I, I received a bunch of non-dilutive funding, but at the end of it, I was kind of like, there's so many other things that I, I could have been doing with my time that that might have yeah, actually yeah, yeah. Uh, resulted in better outcomes. And so, I, you know, I think about it like there's, there's very um, a few things that a founder can like, well, maybe I'll put it this way. Um, founders should be focused on things that they are uniquely positioned to do and no one else can do. Right. And so this is like execute on the vision, find the right people to build a team, uh, uh, get your first customer, get your first 10 customers. Like these are all things that we can't step into a business and, and do for them. They should be focused on that. And we should be focused on things that, uh, that they can fractionalize or that we can, we can take off their plate, create the outcomes, but without having to put in the, uh, 
the amount of time and, and headspace that's required to, to do it effectively. It's a joke I heard years ago. Maybe it wasn't a joke. It was advice. The first thing you do when you start a business is sell your shovel and sell your lawnmower because someone <laughs> else can, someone else can do that. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard another one, like uh, the better, the better you are at golf, the, the harder you should be working on your business or something, uh, right? Like, you know, there's, there's limited t- hours in the day and, and you really got to prioritize what, what you're doing at that time, especially in the early days where building a foundation is so critical yeah. to, to uh, continue to grow. Would you say for founders, especially at the early stage, that prior that that you know, I always joke, and I did this years ago. Like you know, draw write out all the things that you need that you need done. Then just put the names of the people that are the best suited to do it, not that are capable. That's I think a biggest risk. Well, I could do it, but sh- but should you? You know, and who else could do that for you? And that's a lot of discipline. And also, I'm just going to project a little bit at that early stage. Oftentimes, they are the founder, the the universal. They are so used to being the only you know chief cook and bottle washer. That's a tough transition, and then you get into delegation and never having learned that skill and there's a lot to it that also is sometimes also tied to a self sense of worth. Well, I got to get stuff done because that's how I drive value. But mean, but meanwhile, you're spending time on not maybe the wrong things, but not the most high impact things. That's a, that's a tough one. I think we've all learned over the years as leaders, managers, founders, owners. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I remember some advice I got from a, a, a friend mentor of mine a few years ago and just really helped me frame my thinking around that as a, as a founder, as an operator was um, instead of thinking about like, you know, the list of to do's you've created, all the things that you have to get done tomorrow. Like what's the one thing that you can do that's really going to move the needle. Um, And and he explained it as like kind of changing the trajectory of your business. And that could be like a five minute phone call to, to, you know, a customer that you're scared to talk to or, or a potential customer that you really want to pitch to, but you know, you got the cold feet uh, doing a cold call. Um, If you're procrastinating, it's often an indicator, (laughs) but but it's really like this compounding effect where if you do those things and you're, and you're kind of very um, particular about where you spend your time on, on those types of things, like the, the big pillars, so to speak, or the, even the five minute tasks that are, that are, um, that, you know, are easy to procrastinate because they're really hard. You could spend like 12 hours a day doing, you know, work, cleaning your desk basically and metaphorically speaking (laughs) and and feel busy and, and, you know, feel like you're, you're contributing to, to the success of, of what you're trying to do. But, but really it's, it's those like really challenging things that you have to kind of push yourself and and expand your comfort zone around uh, to be able to do. And, and let's be frank, like every stage of, of growth of a company like this, and it happens really fast, there's different sets of skills that are required to, to execute. And so, you know, one of the challenges with founders and in some cases, like just inventors that, that come up with this idea, but they're like, I don't know how to operate a business and I don't have a desire to operate a business <laughs> is that they can't, you know, grow as operators with the growth of the business. And that's okay. You just have to understand that and, and acknowledge that you, you need to surround yourself with the right people that can help you with that. And that's one of the biggest challenges I, I see. I think um, it's the type of thing that the right experience around you and the right, the right kind of people around you can, can really help with because they can kind of catch it quickly and, and help you understand that, like, you know, this is something that, that you can find a specialist in that, that, can, that can really move the needle on this. Whereas, like, you're going to try to figure it out for a year and, and maybe get a little bit closer, but, but not actually. <laughs> is that often a role that, you know, you, you used the word, you said earlier, like a mentor, somebody, you know, early in your career that kind of, you know, how critical, and I know some of your um, portfolio companies, and I've heard it said <laughs> that uh, we love it thin air because sometimes we just can walk across the hall and just have a chat and get some help and get some support. And when you feel the world, the walls are closing in, or I forget exactly what the, the paradigm was. <laughs> is that a big role of like, one, is that mission critical? Which, sorry, I'm leading the question. If you, if you said no, having a mentor is not mission critical, we might have to have a healthy debate on this call. <laughs> so knowing that we probably already agree, 
how much is that a factor? Because you know, you said it earlier, like people are looking for money, sure, but they're also looking for help, experience, guidance, and support. I would also imagine that one, that's a critical part of your model, but also it's critical on the founders that actually are open to being supported. Like how much is that a part of just like literally your day to day? Uh a, a lot. And, yeah. and I think that like, you know, from from an investment perspective, um, it's almost everything we do, right? Like we're, we're working with and mentoring and coaching and, and uh, supporting founders well before we ever invest in them. Um, and, and that's one of the biggest things is like um, cuts are never written or, or right, checks are never written in the room, right? Like it's always like, here, let's have a series of conversations and really understand what you're trying to do and what you need help with. And, and then we can make a decision about whether we can partner with you uh, to help you do that. And we look at investments in these companies really as partnerships. And, and I think that that's... Um, uh, rarer in today's VC landscape, but but really important to the success of our our investment thesis, which is de-risking and helping ex- companies accelerate. Versus, this. let's make a hundred bets so that a couple of them will land or yeah, maybe not passive, hundred, but right? yeah, like, totally. I, yeah. I think if we can reduce the the failure rate of, of early stage companies by even even a, a small margin, but as as we like to to point to, like let's say it was zero percent, what would the economics of a fund like this be? Um, the art of and the that's, that's really what we're driven by. But in order <laughs> to do that, a mentorship is is really um, key to that and, and not just from us, but also connecting people with pe- folks in our network or other, right. other opinions, um, or perspectives that can help them think about that. So whenever I'm working with a founder and we're having conversations, sometimes late at night, sometimes early in the morning, um, uh, I'll always recommend afterwards, you know, go talk to two or three other people about this as well. Um, I, I'm one perspective and, and I think that, uh, it'd be healthy to kind of gain a, a broader perspective, uh, get a lot more information in and then make a decision about what's, uh, uh, you know, what move to make. The the founder seed is all about decision-making, right? And so the rate that you can make these decisions and, and you're going to have to make them without all of the information that you'd be comfortable uh, typically making them with, but the, the rate that you can make them with and, and the more educated you can be around uh, making those decisions, which really just comes from people around you and experience um, uh, and people can help you kind of uh, avoid pitfalls when you, when you're when you're uh, making those decisions then then I think that that's absolutely critical so from from the work that we do on the investor side it's it's uh, a lot um, our services are kind of designed um, from that frame of thinking it's it's like you know it's a little bit more in depth because sometimes you like really need someone that can actually execute the work here but the way that we've designed the funding catalyst service for instance is, is a lot about helping companies uh level up their own capacity to be able to to see and understand how this funding can be used in, in different ways and how to think creatively about um project scoping and uh and their product like their roadmap and and kind of how to prioritize their their time against these things um, and same thing with the product traction team. Like we're not we're not a, a software agency that that you know our business model relies on people like creating a dependency on the work that we do. What we're really when I talked to, to Katie, she was very clear about that relationship, which I thought was a real critical differentiator of like, well, what what horse do you have in the race? Is it just to get the work afterwards or not? That's a different model. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And, and yeah. for us, it's really about helping companies succeed here and and creating this this uh, uh, cyclical effect, right? This this. Uh, uh, flywheel uh, effects of, of activity where you can help, let's say 10 companies reach kind of series A and beyond. Um, all 10 of those companies have the ability to get to that next stage and, and have a higher probability of doing that, but also are attracting people and other, other investors and other activities. Well, it here. is a bit of the rising tides. Like it's, uh, it's very much so for and, sure. Like not and, to and be, just, not to be cliche, but it's also true. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think from our perspective, our, our horse in the race, so to speak is, is really helping companies succeed here and and it's not you know what we're trying to do is helping companies 
kind of accelerate to that next stage. And sometimes it's like in the weeds, executing on actual work to, to help them do that, but always with um, the perspective that we're helping them build capacity to take it on themselves. Um, yeah. Right. And, and if we can do that really well, we can help companies get to that next stage. And then there's this whole other set of challenges that, that they're going to be facing that we can probably find other ways to help them with. And so we got to be able you to access, you that. access another level of the game. It doesn't get easier. It just gets different, right? <laughs> yeah, different. And, yeah. and I mean, mm-hmm. um, and that's not, you know, there's lots of folks in, in the venture space that really like one to 10 or really like 10 to a hundred or, or kind of different stages yeah. of, of growth of these types of companies. And from a career perspective, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but just like an understanding that once you kind of level up and, and especially when you're raising uh, large amounts of venture capital, there's kind of different, you're playing it with different stakes and there's different um, growth requirements for operators and for founders of those business in order to take that, that next step. Um, and, uh, kind of keeping up with the growth of your own company is one of the hardest challenges. And, and it's just like a rapid learning uh, process, right? Like one year, it's always, it's always, like it's, always outgrow- it's outgrowing yeah. you. Yeah, and part exactly. of, part of, you know, what I'm hearing or certainly filling in my own blanks is where we are in our journey as an ecosystem being Western mm-hmm. Canada, Calgary, you know, Alberta, that broader sense is probably a little bit more relevant here because we're just have, we're just earlier in our, in our, in our cycles. And again, we have an energy sector that's done this type of like build, flip, build, grow for years. But you know, this whole new tech side of it, and I know that means a lot, means a lot of things. We're just early in the journey. So you, I would say you just you need organizations that cover a bit of a broader spectrum it just makes sense because <laughs> you're because it's new <laughs> yeah and i think you know i i've uh, i've been here a long time like i've seen kind of the ups and downs and the the ebbs and flows of of energy of agriculture of kind of these these globally competitive commodity markets um and i don't think like i think the best thing one of the best things that's happening in the ecosystem right now is this kind of convergence of innovation and and energy and agriculture like it's not you know not operating a silo anymore there's there's innovation that's happening that's applicable for all of these different kind of use cases and and people are in the same room talking about these things right and there's investment from government that's supporting those types of things plug and play its whole model is kind of built around that of bringing kind of corporate and enterprise to the table and matchmaking them to to uh, startups and, and innovation and i think that's really really important to kind of um, weave all of this together, right? And and that's one of the challenges that Calgary faced or Alberta faced for for some time. But I, you know, I've really seen um, uh, kind of evolve over the last few years, specifically um, with some you know support from these types of programs, but also just like an understanding that like we all win together. And uh, uh, you know, innovation is not um, kind of anti anything. It's just it's just like where's the innovation within these these uh, uh, ecosystems or these these sectors. Um, and same is true on the other side. Uh, so I, I think that we're seeing amazing things coming out of some of those those programs that are really um, helping Alberta become, uh, you know, a hub for for this type of activity. And, and it's very unique Albertan way, uh, which is really important. Which I to, love. It's funny. A question I used to ask in the early, early days of the podcast. I don't ask it anymore because I don't feel it's as relevant. Not that it isn't, but which two sectors would you, would you kind of throw in a room and lock the door and force to collaborate? And, I, and people go, oh, I do this sector and that sector. I don't really ask the question anymore because I run into it all the time. I would say that it's happening where four years ago when I started asking that question, people were like, oh, geez, well, let's take ag and we'll put them in with defense. And it was, it was kind of a creative answer I would typically get, but I'm running into to more and more hybrid conversations, then I don't I don't think that question is as relevant anymore as it used to be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's a fun question to play around with in, in your head a bit. All right, well, who would you lock in the room? Who, who, who would we throw in to see you know, what would happen? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of thought I was like, well, 
I think that I think that a healthy ecosystem is more than just two players in the room, right? Like it's like you're kind of creating. Oh, this... way to way to flip my question, Andrew. I, I nicely know, done, nicely done. <laughs> but I, but I was thinking. All like, right, it's I mean, a big room. Who do you want to throw in there? <laughs> well, I think I think if you were to pick two, I, it'd be I'd be more motivated to pick the two that I, I see kind of innovation and opportunity to build my own company in, right? I'd be like, well, if you well, even better you know, answer. And well, we're never getting how Andrew thinks here. He's giving us his algorithm. <laughs> but but so that's and that's a hard one because I I you know I, I'm exposed <laughs> to so many different different companies doing. I'm amazing things right and it's it's you know in life sciences in in uh, the health sector in agriculture and energy in in just software kind of applied to lots of different sectors and everything in between um that i just get excited like you know i get up every day and get to work with founders building these types of companies and and that's that's no, awesome, really man. what what keeps me uh keeps me going um, and that's, and that's good for me right now. Um, well, as I, a, as a serial builder of companies, you've kind of found the perfect environment where you get to, you know, it's every day is literally a living, breathing case study of, a, of somebody building a company that you can actually get involved with. Sounds pretty awesome, Andrew. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it doesn't come without its challenges. We're building oh. a company as well. And, and there's, there's, uh, steps to take to, to do that and, and challenges that we face, uh, um, kind of building that company out. But, but you know, I, I think in terms of aligning what I'm passionate about and and kind of my approach to how we win together, kind of mentality. Um, I, you know, I, I can't think of a I can't think of a better place for me to be right now. And and it really just also it's it's aligned with my my passion for the city and, and for the province. And and uh, I think I think really. I don't necessarily believe in once in a lifetime opportunities. I think opportunities are kind of all around you and you can take advantage of the ones that, that you're well positioned to do. But I, I do think that there's kind of a city and, and province building initiative that's happening right now. That's kind of the tech is, is a, a big part of, um, but not in silo, right. As, as, as it's uh, continued to be uh, woven in and, and integrated with other sectors that, that exist here. Um, so I think that that's the best thing that's happening right now is, is you just have these amazing founders, amazing ideas that are um, now talking to kind of, customer one um, and there's more willingness to engage in in innovation at that stage for for these types of companies that that I, I think we're we're only starting to see kind of this the swell um, and the wave which is, is super is yeah I'm I'm, I'm I'm very bullish on that as well I'm curious and I, I don't want to it's good you mentioned something like you're also building a company as well while you're focusing on this you know 23 23 to 24 companies maybe 35 to 40 events down the road product traction team funding catalyst came out of a need. What else are you seeing? And we're not certainly asking you to tell us your product roadmap of what's coming next, mm -hmm. but what are some of those other needs that you're starting to see materialize as you get, you know, you're talking with, you know, 25 companies on a regular basis. What other products are you thinking about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. Like I think, um, from a product traction perspective, for example, um, one of the, one of the things that so, so we were kind of jumping in and, and helping validate and do customer discovery work for early product iterations, sometimes like product one, sometimes like a, a, an addition to a, a platform that already existed, uh, and then designing and engineering and kind of executing. I think that the next part of it was kind of this growth strategy, this, this uh, dynamic digital marketing, um, kind of like how do, you, how do you actually figure out and, and track the analytics behind usage of a product like this and how do you leverage that to uh, uh, to grow um, so we've recently uh, uh, launched a, a division under a product traction team for uh, specifically focused on helping these types of products grow um, and so that's really like establishing uh, tools and resources to, to track analytics across uh, the platform and then really understand and get to kind of a, a much deeper level understanding of 
of what's driving engagement, what's driving user behavior, how do you attract uh, the right type that kind of, of deeper level kind of user intelligence of what, how, and you know how in ways they're using our products that maybe we didn't even anticipate. Yeah, and, and I think that that's mm-hmm. kind of a natural extension of, of the product traction service line. I think for funding catalysts, we we're we're kind of looking at it from the perspective of like um, capital strategy as a whole, right? So finding not just the right kind of grant that can support a specific part of your your product roadmap, but like, you know, are there things that we can be doing to connect founders with early stage investors, whether it's uh, here or elsewhere to help them raise the capital they need early, um, uh, build out the foundation of their business and then, and then access to the capital they need for that next stage of growth. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll kind of speaking in a little bit broader terms there because it's not fully fleshed out and I, I haven't, uh, you know, obviously I'm thinking about it, but I, I think it's more just paying attention to what customers are asking for and, and what they're coming to us. And and I think the, the unique relationship that we build with, with customers that we're working with are kind of this, um, well, I don't know who else to call. I guess I'll call someone at thin air because even if they don't know the answer, they'll probably help me find it. Well, I've had um, someone tell me years ago, you know, you've made it as like a consultant or like a trusted partner when someone calls you for something absolutely yeah. at first blush unrelated to what it is you think you do. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> I, I've and, always been told, take that as an awesome phone call and just embrace it and find out where it goes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're, we're humble and, and modest enough to know that there's a lot of these things that we can't, we can't solve for, but what we can do is, is try to find the right person. You're becoming a trusted with. partner, which is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so when I think about that, then then you can kind of prioritize um, the types of service lines that you can build that are within your preview. And, and yeah, what's uh, and what, what's what's of, a conversation that comes up once a week versus what's an actual service line that you build a dedicated team for? And that's that's really the product 100%. journey right there, isn't it? 100%. You can die under the weight of like, well, if we just had this other feature, if it just did this for all three people that wanted it. <laughs> and I mean, you know, like taking a, a page from our own playbook around how we how we mentor and, and coach founders, like stay focused on the things that only you can do that you can do really really well. And so we've created a, a critical mass of of scientists and business uh, venture builders and operators and and designers and engineers that are really good at helping companies kind of get get versions of product to market, gain traction, um, access additional capital and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, whatever we do next, it'll kind of be within uh, within that with line of sight to how it can uh, continue to support founders at that stage of, of development. Just the term, and we could probably blow it another half an hour if we unpack this one, but just even capital strategy. I've had so many people come on specifically with follow the money, talking to the, the investor, the founder of how critical it is to get your cap table right, to get that strategy coming out of the gate because how much that can sabotage you. And I did have a few people on earlier on, like, you know, there's a lot of Canadian companies, early stage founders that really don't set them up for success because they didn't have a proper cap strategy they quote unquote just took money mm-hmm. and it actually buried them for the next successive rounds you're not lots this is this is audio but you're nodding a lot so yeah. how much is that mission critical for especially early stage founders to not i'm not going to say get it right but maybe not screw it up <laughs> or not set themselves up for failure mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I think it goes back to kind of the the sentiment of this whole conversation of like surrounding yourself with the right people to help you avoid some of those, those avoid mistakes. The, because, the yeah, landmines be, and pitfalls. Yeah. yeah. It can be really challenging to kind of fix a, a cap table that is, is a barrier for additional uh, capital to come into, um, which, which can absolutely happen. I, th- I think from a more practical perspective of, uh, uh, for founders, it's, it's like um, you want to pull yourself out of the weeds and think strategically and longer term about, your next round of capital and the milestones that you have to hit in order to do that. And like, really what's the plan over the next three to five years, right? So when you're kind of in this, this constant uh, fight or flight scenario um, and being reactive to kind of like, well, I need the capital because like, I don't really think we're going to make payroll. 
uh, and things like that, then you're going to make decisions that are likely short term um, and could could hurt you longer term. And I think it's really important to kind of pull yeah. yourself out. We do this exercise all the time with founders that we're working with and just whiteboard it. Like what happens in, okay, so, you know, you raise this money now. And then in 18 months or 24 months, you're going to have to raise additional capital. But really, that means you have to do that, start that process six months before. What are the, and that means you have to be in, you know, you have to have these metrics or milestones kind of achieved by that point, which is 18 months in, in the future. So, so how do you use this capital to achieve those outcomes, right? And set yourself up for that next round of capital if that's part of your, your strategy. Um, or you might take the view, well, I can just raise uh, a little bit of capital now, and and then I think we become cash flow positive by that time, so we might not ever have to raise again. Which changes well, the whole paradigm. Changes which, the whole paradigm. Even if you do, yeah, changes who you invest. Um, are we are we playing Battleship or are we playing chess? Hundred <laughs> percent. So so even that exercise can really help founders think that through, and also understand like you know the use of proceeds. Like when I raise this money, what are the key things I need to do to reach these milestones, right? And so it sounds it sounds really simplistic, um, but a lot of a lot of founders just don't do that because you're kind of reacting active to to what you think you need to do and you're kind of reading headlines and it's a little bit of maturity of, of the ecosystem and and that's why i just continue to emphasize it's really important to surround yourself with people that have been there done that um that can really help you kind of avoid avoid some of those uh, uh some of those mistakes early on and, and set yourself up for success and and partner with the right investors um i think that's that's really kind of a well, that concept of, of, of time span you know if you're a visionary and you've got the big idea but yet the world you're in at the moment is conspiring to make you put out fires. Really, that's a push-pull. That's a tough one to kind of, like you said, map it out and go, okay, let's just say you, you, you made payroll. Like, Because when that's real, as my buddy always says, you know you're an entrepreneur when you've found yourself at some point in your life on your kitchen floor crying because you're not sure if you can make payroll. That's when you know you're not just entrepreneurial. That sounds harsh, but I appreciate his worries. I appreciate yeah. where he's coming from on that one because every entrepreneur on the uh, listening goes, oh yeah, there was that one time that I was driving and mm-hmm. next thing I knew I was in Canmore. I didn't know how I got there because I was trying to figure out how I wasn't going to die the next day in business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that reality of uh, the push-pull of thinking on a lar- larger-term vision while your office chair is on fire, that's really, it's easy to say on a podcast. I just want to really, really respect how difficult that can be, especially if you don't have people around you with experience to go, hey, don't worry, I got a fire extinguisher. We're good. Let's just, let's talk about down the road. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's it's absolutely worth pointing out that it's, you know, easy to say and hard to do. And it's a learned, it's a learned skill, right? Um, and you, you can kind of he- listen to as many podcasts as you you can about this stuff, uh, but really it's an experience. Andrew, do you mean thing. podcasts aren't the answer to everything? Is that what you're talking well, about? Well, I mean, like, they're a good start. And then you can, and then you can, like, throw yourself in there. If they get you thinking, out, right? that was a good episode. That's all I can, that's all I can hope 100%. for. Someone walks away going, oh, this Andrew guy sounds legit. I'm going to reach out to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and I hope people do, right? Because it's like, it's really through conversation and through kind of experimentation and, and experience that you learn that kind of thing. Like, which fires are important to put out and which are not. And this goes back to where... where just we, let it burn. It doesn't yeah, matter. Like some, yeah. some of them, some of them are just like, you just got to let it burn, right? And um, uh, I think Reed Hoffman on uh, his Masters of Scale podcast talk, had a whole episode about that, like which fires to to ignore. Nice. Yeah, good reference. Um, because it's it's kind of like, you know, there's a million things you could do every day. What are the things that are really going to drive your business forward? It goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier. But uh, I think the key the key there is, is again, it, it, it comes down to like really surrounding yourselves with the right people, but also understanding um, how to ask for help and how to ask for the help that you need. Um, which is also a learned skill. And, and I think the combination <laughs> of just the right dash of humility and vulnerability on that journey. Yeah, which, 100%. And, and also yeah. knowing, like reading the room, like who who do who can I ask this type of question for? Like, is this a, a CEO question that requires like, con, you know, contextual awareness and, and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, or is this something right. that is more like, you know, I can, I can find someone that has no idea 
um, who I am or anything about my business, but can, can, you know, just be a backboard for me and bounce some ideas off of. Right. Um, so knowing who to call and, and creating kind of that network around you, I think is really important. Um, so that you can have those, those types of, uh, of real conversations. Like, look, building a company like this is really, really hard and it's not hard between nine to five. It's just like, it, it <laughs> fundamentally makes your life harder. Yeah, yeah, um, and there's a lot more responsibility and people are relying on, on you to, um, uh, to cover their mortgage payments and, and so on. Right. So, uh, it can cause a lot of stress. And, and if you're not kind of paying attention to your own, um, energy level and your own, uh, mental health and all of these things, then, mm. then, you know, you're, you're going to be the one that brings the, the company down. Um, so, so it's really important to kind of just consider all those things as you're, as you're building, as you're going into those and, and surround yourself with people that, that you trust in different scenarios to, to help you, uh, again, not necessarily like give you the answer, but help you understand like how to find it. Um, and oftentimes it just helps you think in a new direction. Hey, I'm curious. Here's a random question for you. Since you are now my de facto expert on everything startup, <laughs> when you meet founders and you've met tons of them and you were one, how many, what percentage would you say got into it because they actually wanted to build a big company versus I want to build this thing and solve this problem and play with this tech and, and make this movement to your point about, holy shit, I got payroll now. I got people relying on me. I'm curious just the, from your own point of view, what percentage I'm thinking small, but I, I don't want to lead the witness get into it because they actually want to build a venture versus want to do some big, awesome thing that maybe had nothing to do with having a hundred staff just as a, to pick a number. Yeah. it's a good question. I mean, like, I think, I think, and I think there's different categories as well. People that, of course, that just yeah, want yeah. to experiment and they, and you know, they, they want to be their own boss and, and there's lots of different reasons to, to want to build a company. I think, um, I, I think like building a company, like a company's a, from my perspective, like a tool or a vehicle to, to create value. Right. So, um, and it can come in all shapes of sizes. You can build something that is extremely valuable that only ever needs five to 10 employees, hmm. uh, but might have limited reach and, and kind of be confined to, to one uh, specific market or, or jurisdiction. You can build a company with a thousand people um, that's global scale and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, also really valuable in different ways. Uh, I think um, as the, ecosystem matures and and people that have kind of been through it once i think have a very yep. different view on on why they're building what they're doing and they're much more selective with ideas that they just jump into and and they say no more often than they than they used to <laughs> um because they understand the work that goes into building this type of company right and uh and so they also understand like you know am i well positioned to to do this right now do i have a competitive edge if i go into this this market and opportunity so i think um, I don't know if I can give you like a, a percentage answer there, but, but I think more and more are getting into it because they want to solve a really hard problem. And I think that that's a bit of a unique Albertan perspective, Oh, nice. Um, yeah, okay. which is good. Like, you know, but then, but then there's like a naivety of like, well, how am I going to do this? Um, you know, so combine that with like, you know, being fast learners, I think you have the ingredients for, uh, uh, for growth in the ecosystem. And, you know, we're, we're obviously really, um, excited about the opportunity here and, and Alberta's, uh, you know, it's, it's not just happening, but it's, it's already here in a lot of ways, right? We're seeing global scale companies. Yeah, this wasn't three, if we had this conversation three years ago, I feel it would be very different, but, uh, and I did have these kind of for this reason. And what I've seen transpire in the last few years has been quite inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the work that, that, that you do and others do around storytelling around kind of creating, uh, you know, putting a face to some of the, the activities that are happening. Some of the, the newspaper headlines that you're seeing is really, really important too, because people need to, to be able to look at, um, you know, a situation and then, and then relate to it. Um, by saying, oh, like I know that person, I went to school with them or, or I've come across <laughs> all, them all of a sudden and... it becomes, it humanizes yeah, it, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. No, that, uh, you know, if you don't think there's a lot going on in Alberta because you're just not paying attention, I don't make that joke anymore either because that's not really the case. I talk to everybody and it's it's more of a sense of of abundance and, and a sense of we don't, it's all rising up, uh, you know, especially even with some of the talk, you know, recession and global downturns and all the negativity. We are in a little bit of a bubble here right now. I was talking to Crystal on your team the other day and she's like, well, I want to tell you that all the news headlines are bad, but they're not. They're great. And, you know, uh, also, <laughs> also someone who is universally positive in my, in, in my experience. But she also had some very clear like da 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 to back to back that up, which which I which I really appreciate. But um, Andrew, what's the best way? What what way do you prefer? Because everyone can find everyone these days. We all live in that world. But what do you prefer? What's your favorite form of communication if somebody wants to reach out and have a chat? Mm. Uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty open. I'm pretty active on on LinkedIn. So if you want to look nice. me up there and connect there and, and send me a quick message, I'm, I'm pretty responsive there. Uh, email's good as well. Uh, so Andrew at standardlabs.ca, no problem saying that. Anyone that wants to reach out, we're, we're always happy to, to take nice. a call and, and see how we can help. Um, those are probably the best. Um, check out our website, uh, learn a little bit more about some of the, the companies that we've we've worked with. And you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the high level uh, of the ecosystem. We talked a lot about thin air, but uh, but I'd remiss uh, be remiss to not mention some of the, the amazing companies that that are uh, working next to us. And so we have a, a small office, and and I, I open this up to uh, to let's have a coffee here here at uh, our space or, or platform. Well, you guys have a great you guys have a great space too, Don. Yeah, so Arbor's across the hall, Phillips across the hall, uh, two two amazing companies kind of approaching that their next stage of scale. We're working with groups like Cyantra and Bode and. Uh, Hone, Provision, all Zazian, like all of these are homegrown companies uh, built by founders that are have global ambition and, and are, are really kind of leading the way in terms of what's possible here and and how to do that. And so I also encourage everyone to reach out to to the teams there and, and founders there if you're an aspiring entrepreneur looking to uh, uh, to kind of learn a thing or two as you get started. It's uh, it gets a small. I'm just looking at your your portfolio. I'm like, oh, I know him and I know her. I know them. I've had them on the show. Like, we do live in the biggest small town ever, and I think that is one of our superpowers. So I will always continue to celebrate that. Everyone's heard me say that multiple times. But biggest small town ever, and for all the good things that come from a small. I grew in a small town, and there's some bad things too. The gossip side of it, but Calgary is much more of a lifting up than a pushing down, in my experience. I choose to also put on those goggles every day. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important that we hold on to that, right? Like, you know, don't lose that in the uh, in the fury that comes with rapid growth of, of ecosystems like that um you know be humble lift each other up uh i think it's kind of built into to our model here at thin air like we we don't win if founders don't win so we ask ourselves every day like what's you know what can we do to help these companies navigate uh, de-risk uh, win a uh, really important term that that uh that's a common dialogue here at the office but but I, I think that you know it's important to to hold on to that as as we continue to grow um because that that is really what uh what uh no it's something that's it's, it's worth it's worth a, a notable mention is oftentimes the thing that makes you successful you forget about in the in the journey to that success and then and then stop doing it yeah i do think it's it's pretty rooted in our dna and kind of our pioneering maverick kind of culture here of supporting each other because when you when you move west to it to, to set up and establish if you didn't support each other nobody survived and i think we've really pulled that through x amount of years later and i, I do choose to like i i think that if you unpack the secret sauce part of who we are just even as a province and the people that ended up here not that not that many years ago when you think about the cycle of history uh, that was pretty much a uh, like let's get her done let's go do it on our own terms but we got to support each other or else nobody's going to get there yeah. that uh, i think we still got that going live and strong so all right so if anyone's still lifting at the end it's getting really raw raw here at the end guys so uh, thanks for thanks for hanging in there andrew really enjoyed our chat i was looking forward to it did not disappoint and uh, thank you for the amazing work i've had many people on from thin air labs i love what you guys are doing i'm a huge supporter of it and uh i love to uh, i love to see it rising tides. <laughs> 
Really appreciate it, Tyler. I uh, appreciate the work that you do, too. Uh, telling the stories and putting a face to, to the name and a voice to the names is, is really important, too. So uh, big fan of yours and, and Thank uh, you. a lot of the guests that you've had on, too. So excited to continue to listen and excited to, to bump into each other soon. Yeah, go. Hey, if anybody hasn't, I know this has been a shameless plug. Go go doom scroll on the Collisions YYC uh, episode list. I guarantee you will bump into somebody you know on there. I've got that point now where it's like, if someone said to me that they say, oh, are you ever worried you're going to run out of guests? And every once in a while, I get that little bit inkling. And then I meet five more people that yeah. week and I want to have them all on the next day. So no, I do not worry about running out of guests because there are so many amazing people doing cool shit in this city. And uh, I'm happy to celebrate it. So thanks for your feedback. I appreciate it. Mm. Hey, no problem. Thanks, Tyler.